wait till you get disease and try to claw yourself back to health. It's better. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. Um, and I'm so glad that you're there in Dallas to share this important information with folks down there and look forward myself to eventually getting back down to Dallas. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase our longevity in a good way. Let's get started. Today we have a special treat for you, an interview that's also a little bit of an oldie but goodie. Now don't worry, it isn't your typical throwback. It's a conversation that remains incredibly relevant even though it originally took place back in 2020. We're excited to bring you a timely discussion with the incredible Dr. Michael Greger, the best-selling author of How Not to Die and How to Survive a Pandemic. Dr. Greger has been a trusted source of health and wellness information, and his insights are more pertinent than ever in the context of our ongoing battle against pandemics. You see, back in 2020, we had the privilege of planning an in-person event with Dr. Greger, but... Well, as many of you know, the pandemic had other ideas. We canceled our meetup and as a result, turned our conversation into this insightful virtual interview. And today, as we approach the end of 2023, the wisdom shared during that discussion is still strikingly applicable. Dr. Greger delves into the origins of pandemics, the ever-increasing risks they pose, and the importance of prevention and personal health. We discuss the zoonotic roots of pandemics, the potential for future outbreaks, and lifestyle measures that can fortify our immune systems. It's a treasure trove of guidance, all wrapped up in a conversation that's as fresh as the day it was recorded. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this timeless conversation we had with Dr. Michael Greger. And please share this episode with friends and family. Let's listen in. So Dr. Greger, we were a little bit disappointed that we weren't able to see you in person last month and uh, we were going to talk about the How Not to Diet book and instead we're actually going to talk about how to survive a pandemic. So uh, thank you for your time today. Happy to be here. Hopefully next time it'll be in person. How did this pandemic even happen? Over the last few decades, there's uh, hundreds of human pathogens have emerged at a rate unheard of in the annals of human medicine, say, wait a second, emerged from where? Mostly from animals. So the AIDS virus is blamed on the bushmeat trade in Africa. The, uh, the, the mad cow disease was because we turned cows into carnivores and cannibals. COVID-19 and SARS have been traced back to the live uh, exotic uh, wild animal trade. But you know, our last pandemic, swine flu in 2009, arose not from some backwater wet market in Asia, but was largely made in the USA on pig operations in the United States. And thankfully, swine flu only killed about a half million people. But the next time, we might not be so lucky. You know, that's, uh, that, that's something that I've had in, in, in my mind, is that there's an acceleration of the incidence of these diseases. You know, you go back, the, the big one that I can think of back in the uh, 20th century was uh, the Spanish flu in 1918. And then there was this long period where we didn't have uh, any major pandemics or outbreaks. And then suddenly AIDS in the uh, 70s, 80s, uh, and then it's accelerating. Now that we're seeing it more and more often. Uh, 
What do you think is going to happen? I mean, are we going to continue to see this acceleration and, uh, and how are we going to deal with it? Well, we're changing the way animals live on a global scale. You know, as devastating as COVID-19 is, it may just be a dress rehearsal for an even greater threat waiting in the wings of chickens. According to the CDC, the leading candidate for the next pandemic is a bird flu virus known as H7N9, which is 100 times deadlier than COVID-19. Instead of 1 in 250 cases die, H7N9 has killed 40% of the people infected. You know, the last time a bird flu virus jumped directly to people and caused a pandemic, as you mentioned, it triggered the deadliest plague in human history, the flu pandemic of 1918, killing about 50 million people. That had a 2% fatality rate, right? What if we had a pandemic infecting billions where death was closer to a flip of a coin, right? Uh, but the good news is there's something we can do about it. Just as eliminating the exotic animal trade and, uh, and these live wet markets may go a long way towards preventing the next coronavirus pandemic, reforming the way we raise domestic animals for food may help forestall the next killer flu. That's a good, good point you make. But the question is, will we do it? Uh, we see so much resistance uh, from many people. There, there, there may be people who are like-minded like us who understand there's a need for that reform. Then there's other people who don't uh, uh, accept that that exists. Well, that's the silver lining of COVID-19 is that this is, uh, you know, it's like a fire drill to wake us out of our complacency, kind of like a dry run. You know, when we, uh, you know, uh, crowd together thousands of animals, these cramped, filthy football field-sized sheds to lie, you know, beak to beak or snout to snout atop their own waist. It's just a breeding ground for disease. Uh, the sheer numbers, the overcrowding, the stress crippling their immune systems, the the ammonia from decomposing waste, um, uh, you know, burning their lungs, the loss of, loss of uh, lack of fresh air, lack of sunlight, and put all these factors together. And what we have is really kind of a perfect storm environment for the emergence spread of these so-called super strains of influenza. We got to give these animals some breathing room. They are the ones that could use a little social distancing right now. <laughs> um, uh, but ultimately, taking a step back, we really need to accelerate the movement toward uh, plant-based options, plant-based milks, plant-based meats, plant-based egg products. Um, uh, it's just too risky to continue to, um, you know, uh, to, to prioritize uh, protein from animal sources. And that's giving us an opportunity to kind of showcase the benefits of plant-based foods, kind of like what you're saying, that's the right way to go. And we've had people reach out to us and ask us to share more content about that, make videos and help people to cross over from eating these animal-based foods to plant-based foods. You kind of, um, when addressing the topic of nutrition, what you're saying is that the immune system needs to function at an optimal level. And that's what we can do right now. That's one way that we have control over the situation, right? Absolutely. All right. Consider the underlying you know, uh, pre-morbid conditions for COVID-19 severity and death, hypertension, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, all of these conditions can be prevented, arrested, even reversed with a healthy enough plant-based diet and lifestyle. And it's important to realize it's not just obesity, even just being overweight, having a BMI of 28, which is like, uh, you know, being 175 pounds at the average American height of five foot six, that puts you at nearly six times the odds of a severe course of COVID-19. The average BMI in the United States, 29. So even being skinnier 
than the average American, you may have so much excess body fat that the level of systemic inflammation in your body is such that uh, you could end up in the hospital or worse. That's why this is the time to take care of yourself. This is the time to you know, get sufficient sleep, to, 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 to keep active, to reduce stress, to stay connected, albeit uh, um, uh, you know, remotely to friends and family, and, uh, and start cleaning up your diet, not just for preventing chronic disease down the road, but in bolstering your ability to withstand the current infectious disease threat. Well, what I like about what you just said, too, is you, you're talking about nutrition, but you're also talking about other lifestyle issues as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, yes, indeed, diet is the most important thing we do in terms of uh, morbidity and mortality, but it all comes together. I mean, uh, and for immune function, uh, sleep and exercise is critically important. Um, even, you know, a, one, a single all-nighter, one bad night of sleep. Um, can really impair one's ability. You do these simple experiments where you drip um, cold virus into people's nose, and you think, well, if you drip the virus straight into your nose, then it'd be like a 100% chance that you'd get the cold. No, because people have immune systems. They can fight off the virus, but you just keep them awake for one night. There's a dramatic increase um, in, the, uh, in the infection rate. And I have a video about that so little things like that. Look, I have a, a video uh, about talking about the role broccoli sprouts can um, uh, can uh, can play in influenza. You drip in influenza virus into people's nose and you randomize them. In fact, there's a double-blind randomized controlled trial: broccoli sprouts versus alfalfa sprouts, mm -hmm. and they found that those eating broccoli sprouts not only um, had uh, less, uh, you know, uh, virus recovered from the nose, less virus-induced inflammation, significantly improved natural killer cell antiviral activity, all from just eating broccoli. Amazing effects, simple tweaks, common sense measures. You know, you don't have to go out and get some fancy supplement or something. Just take care of yourself and your family. We admire the fact that you're one of the founding members of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and my husband just became board certified. Fantastic. And, Thank, uh, you. Thank you. Congratulations. When you talk about exercise, you mentioned IgA, uh, and that found in the saliva. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays a role in helping us with respiratory issues? Infection? I guess within the context of protecting against, say, the coronavirus or any viral infection. Can that help? Yeah, so so IgA is the uh, is a a, a class of antibodies that protect our mucosal surfaces, meaning our mucous membranes, our eyes, our nose, our mouth. That is often where respiratory viruses first attach to then infect us um, and cause illness. And so presumably, um, the fact that even just you know running around for ten minutes, you can get a significant improvement um, in IgA production. Um, uh, suggest that it would protect you against respiratory disease. You certainly see that. You can randomize people to various levels of exercise, um, and you can show uh, a significant boost in a variety of dimensions of immunity. It has yet been put to the test for COVID-19, but encouraging people to exercise just has, has benefits, no downsides, and so I certainly encourage people to do it. It's interesting. You have the same thing on the other side, um, you can actually overstress your body. Marathon runners have a higher risk of uh, upper respiratory tract infections after a marathon because their body is kind of so uh, so depleted um, that you can do the other way. And so, but you can randomize them to you know healthier diets, significantly decrease 
the risk of infection by bolstering the immune system at both ends of the extreme. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, but uh, you'll only help your immune system doing moderately intense exercise like walking. I recommend 90 minutes a day. Wonderful. And so getting enough sleep, exercising, uh, nutrition. You mentioned a study with 83 volunteers where they tested a vaccination. Uh, the volunteers were between the ages of 65 and 85. And wow. there was a control group and the experimental group, they were given three servings of vegetables, fruits and vegetables daily. And there was a significant difference in terms of how protective the nutritious food was, yeah. right? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And this wasn't cutting out meat. Just adding a few servings of fruits and vegetables um, to one's diet can so boost one's immune system, they got a significantly improved antibody response um, to the vaccination. And that's one of the problems. So elderly individuals are those most at risk for respiratory infections. At the same time, their declining immune systems may make vaccines less useful. Um, their body is less protected against the vaccine, and they're the ones we need to be most protected. And just by giving a few extra servings of fruits and vegetables, all of a sudden vaccination worked better because their immune system was more robust. Um, and again, what are the side effects? Just good side effects, right? Fruits and vegetables have all sorts of benefits, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant benefits um, uh, through, for all the organ systems of the body. Um, uh, but uh, you won't hear about any of this because no one makes any money off of it, right? Um, I mean, if the benefits of fruits and vegetables could be fit into a pill, that would be a pill you would buy some stock in. Yeah, and there certainly are a lot of people trying to sell us pills telling us that they have those uh, benefits. That's true, but uh, they uh, pale in comparison. Yeah, it's frustrating for me. Everyone comes to me asking about, well, should I take this pill and that pill? And I go, well, why don't you just eat the vegetable instead? Style, not supplement aisle. Can we talk a little bit about obesity and the world and the risks that are involved with that? Yeah, the excess risk from having excess body fat, we're actually not sure exactly what's going on. We do know um, that uh, those um, with excess body fat, particularly abdominal fat, that deep visceral fat, have higher levels of inflammatory mediators like uh, C-reactive protein, which suggests they have higher levels of this low-grade smoldering inflammation. And since most of the damage in the lungs done during a severe COVID infection is actually not caused by the virus directly, but actually caused by our own immune system, um, having that, uh, that, uh, that pro-inflammatory milieu uh, may accelerate that damage. It also may be something called epicardial fat. There's actually fat on the heart itself, and, uh, and obese individuals, overweight individuals who have excess body fat also have more epicardial fat. And maybe the fat on the heart itself may be contributing um, uh, to the inflammation in the chest. And then there's something called uh, obesity hypoventilation syndrome, where you just have so much excessive fatty tissue in the upper body, you're actually restricted um, in terms of uh, 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 your breathing capacity. All of those may be contributing to this dramatically higher risk. In fact, it's one of the reasons we think why the United States is suffering disproportionately around the world. Yes, in northern Italy, they had a, a relatively older population and suffered because of it. Well, here in the United States, we have one of the fattest populations. And unfortunately, that is putting people at risk, not just down the road from diabetes and osteoarthritis and on down the list, but right now from infection. Look, we have all been telling people 
um, to start eating healthy, uh, living healthy for years now, but it's really come to a head now. Um, and hopefully this will stress to people how important it is to stay healthy. You can't just wait till you get disease and try to claw yourself back to health. It's better. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. Um, and I'm so glad that you're there in Dallas to share this important information with folks down there and look forward myself to eventually getting back down to Dallas um, and uh, sharing this as well. So, but, but for those people who are interested in losing weight, um, I, I keep, keep wanting to say my latest book, but as of Tuesday, that's not my latest book, How Not to Diet is two books ago. Um, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, all the information you can need, all the tips, tricks, tweak techniques to accelerate the loss of body fat. Um, uh, and so uh, I would uh, encourage people to check out that resource. Um, and uh, I believe that's the talk I was going to give down in Dallas. And I still may very well do that. Maybe we'll reschedule for the spring. Yeah, that sounds great. You, mm -hmm. you mentioned the things that put people at more at risk for COVID-19, which is obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and coronary artery disease. Well, guess yeah. what? That's the same thing that my patient population has, which is mm -hmm. vascular disease, atherosclerosis. Yeah. And uh, so it, I think it just drives home the point that uh, all of these things uh, are uh, uh, kind of part of our inflammatory state that we're putting our body in and the damage we're doing. Uh, and, and I love the fact that there's, it's not that we have to come up with a million different solutions to the problem. Mm -hmm. There's literally one solution to the problem, right? Uh, and that's to, to be healthier through a better diet. Ah, so for the last 100 years, from 1919 to 2019, every single year in the United States, the number one killer of Americans was heart disease. But that wasn't true in 1918, and that probably won't be true for 2020. But you're right, the exact same diet um, that, can, uh, that can prevent, arrest, and reverse these chronic conditions like coronary artery disease is the same kind of diet that's going to reduce our risk of pandemic infectious disease as well. Now, I would like to uh, ask another thing too. There's, you address kind of a three-pronged approach to, uh, to working on this. Can you kind of build on that for me? Well, I mean, if we want this, I mean, the only way the pandemic ends is uh, unless the virus just disappears, which would not be unprecedented, um, but uh, the, the, the way most pandemics end is uh, this concept called herd immunity, where a, a critical portion of the populace becomes immune to the virus. And infection can only, you know, uh, churn through a population if there's enough susceptible individuals for the viral sparks to jump from one person to the next. But immune individuals, those who can't get it or can't transmit it, act as firebreaks for the disease, kind of control rods in a nuclear reactor to break the chains of transmission. Now, ideally, this is accomplished through mass vaccination. You know, vaccines are a way to fight fire with fire, using the virus to fight the virus by acquiring the benefits of uh, infection, immunity, without uh, facing the risks, disease and death. Now, without a vaccine, a herd immunity is only achieved the hard way through mass infection. Um, uh, but look, you can't get the virus unless the virus can get to you. That's why I talk about all the just common sense measures um, we can take to reduce our risk during this precarious time. One more thing I'd like to ask you. 
and uh, maybe put on your future prediction cap. Uh, and what's your thoughts on, I mean, it's inevitable. You said this, this is just a warm up for us. Uh, so how soon are we going to see something big? What is it going to be like? What's the likelihood of something even worse happening? Oh, well, I mean, uh, there, there's, a, there's a good likelihood it'll be worse, because right now we're dealing with a Category 2 pandemic. The CDC has a pandemic severity um, uh, um, uh, uh, gauge very similar to kind of the hurricane severity index, Categories 1 through 5. 1918 was a Category 5, a 2% fatality. Um, uh, swine flu in 2009, that was a Category 1. Right now we're dealing with a Category 2, uh, a 0.4% case fatality rate. But, uh, I mean, as you can see, the, I mean, we're, we're at the lower end, right? Um, and uh, so we are certainly um, uh, certainly at risk. We have uh, H5N1, H7N9, these very deadly bird flu viruses, um, some of the deadliest pathogens known, um, uh, you know, similar to what you'd get with untreated HIV or Ebola, um, right around a 50% uh, case fatality rate. And these are pathogens that can infect you know, a significant percentage of the world's population within a matter of months should they acquire easy human-to-human -human transmissibility, which would simply end civilization as we know it. I mean, as bad as COVID-19 is, there's still groceries being restocked in the shelves. We still have electricity. Water is still being purified. Um, uh, you know, doctors and nurses are still showing up to work. Um, this is, as pandemics go, um, a relatively mild pandemic. We got lucky. We may not get lucky next time. That's we, why we need to do everything we possibly can to reduce that risk. And that call comes down to what we as a species are putting on our plate. Um, and so I so appreciate all the work you're doing down there in Texas and look forward to joining you maybe next spring. Thank you. And thank you for putting together this whole package of how to survive a pandemic. Thank you very much, Dr. Gregor. You take care. Thank Absolutely. You. Stay safe. Bye -bye. Keep up the good work. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this content, please share with one friend who can benefit. You can also leave us a five-star review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. As always, thank you for being a listener.